Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you all very much for showing up. I'm excited about this episode of Money Concepts. And that is because we are going to talk about how to avoid common mistakes in investing. So uh, Charlie Munger has this wonderful quote where he says, all I want to know is where I'm going to die so that I will never go there. It's a sort of a uh, tongue-in-cheek quote, uh, but he uses it to illustrate two important ideas. The first idea is to invert, always invert. So instead of asking what can go right with an investment, we ask what can go wrong with an investment. And if we are not prepared to accept the risk uh, of something going wrong, then we should not invest in, in that company something like that. So uh, invert the premise on its head and first look at the downside risk and then uh, look at the upside. That is the first concept, invert, always invert. The Charlie Munger is a big uh, advocate of that particular concept and he uses this quote to illustrate that. The second thing is, if we just avoid making big mistakes in investing, if we just avoid blowing up and things like that, uh, there's a good chance that the returns over time will take care of themselves. So there is this saying that in investing, most people tend to be too cute and then they try to do something to hit the ball out of the park. And then in the process, they end up uh, blowing themselves up. And if you just avoid committing these huge uh, mistakes, taking big risks or taking enormous leverage or in investing in companies that, uh, th that eventually end up going bankrupt, things like that, investing in fads, all those things. If you just avoid these big mistakes, then over a long period of time, uh, just because American business uh, and businesses all over the world, good businesses, they keep becoming more and more valuable. They keep growing earnings. They are able to use the power of compounding to their advantage. Just because there are so many, uh, there's so much favorable dynamics in this game of investing. If we just avoid the big mistakes, there's a good chance that the upside will take care of itself. So this podcast is all about how to avoid mistakes in investing. And so one, one common kind of mistake is we invest in companies thinking they have very solid moats, they have very good returns and things like that. But it turns out there are big risks with that business. And eventually these risks ca catch up to the companies and they end up dying. And um, if a company dies, of course, all uh, equity holders lose their entire um, uh, investment in the company. And even if a company doesn't die, if it is seriously weakened by one of these risks, then it can be the, the whole investment can be a write off. We could lose 50, 60, 70 percent of our money and so on. This is what happened to a lot of investors in 2021 and 22 this year. Uh, they, they put in enormous amounts of their portfolio into a few stocks and um, th those stocks, there were inherent risks in those stocks. But when when the whole market is very enthusiastic about a stock we don't see the risks and 
so when when we put money into the these kinds of ventures eventually the risk catch up to them and then we end up losing money so how do we avoid mistakes like this uh, so before getting into uh, the details of how companies tend to die and how to avoid investing in companies that have these kinds of risks uh, i want to talk about some uh, bookkeeping notes so uh, unfortunately this particular show money concepts uh, on colin is uh, coming to an end so uh, i have this contract with colin to produce these shows for them and uh, this contract is coming to an end and colin has uh, sort of indicated that they don't uh, want to renew the contract uh, so this has been a very positive experience for me and uh, it has helped me uh, find a new audience and i very much enjoy doing these episodes and so on so i will try to do these episodes on some other platform so i am looking for some alternative to continue doing episodes like this but uh, on call in uh, this will be one of the last episodes so i'll do one episode this week and then one one more episode next sunday uh, but that is the end of the show on call in uh, so i just wanted to mention that so you you guys know to follow me on twitter and so on so i will i will keep you updated on how it goes but uh, what i want to do is i want to create something on an open platform so colin is a is a bit of a closed platform uh, so for example people need if if you want to participate on the call you need to download the app you have to create an account and all these things uh, as far as possible i want to avoid asking people to do all this so if it is something just like a zoom link that you click on and you tune in every sunday at a particular time i would really like that so i i, I don't want Uh, to make people jump through hoops uh, to tune into these episodes that is one thing and the second thing is i'm trying to see if there is a way to include video uh, content or at least the contents of my screen or something like that i don't want it to be just audio and the reason is i'm trying to explain concepts involving uh, in investing and you know if i want to show a quick uh, dcf calculation or a spreadsheet or some something like that it would be nice to be able to share some slides or uh, share my screen or share a video or some something like that so i don't want a uh, pure audio uh, on, on this platform so uh, i I'll, i'll try to find something that that includes these things uh, but in the in the meanwhile please note that uh, this this is the the second to last episode and the next week will be the last episode and after that we'll try to move somewhere else which is more open and uh, which is more flexible on the format uh, so anyway that is the bookkeeping note uh, getting back to how companies die uh, so there there are five main ways uh, that that i think companies can die so one one is through competition uh, the second is uh, when they bet through concentration when when companies bet their entire farm on a, on a single thing and that thing goes wrong uh, then the company can die so uh, concentration is the is the second big risk the third big risk is leverage when companies take on too much debt or they don't have enough equity in the game what happens is even a small mistake can kill them so that that is the third big risk leverage and the fourth big risk is uh, reputational damage or fraud 
so for example we we had uh, the the boeing uh, i think it was the 737 max or something like the 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 flight uh, where, where uh, the, the, there was some uh, problem with the way uh, there, there was some miscommunication between the way pilots understood how to fly the plane and the plane how the plane itself worked and so there were there was this big crash and um, there were two two crashes and uh, plenty of people died and so on so whenever you have your company's products associated with a big safety issue like this uh, that is a reputational damage to the company and uh, that can seriously weaken and perhaps even kill the company uh, or if you're caught doing some fraud so for example uh, we had this company called enron uh, or their books were entirely uh, so they they reported billions of dollars in profits that were not really there and and so on so when when you have uh, risks of fraud uh, then the company can end up dying so that that is the fourth biggest risk reputational damage or fraud and finally the government can take some action that makes it very difficult for a company to do business and so uh, that kind of action can kill a company off so these are the five big risks that i see that typically kill companies or if they don't kill companies they seriously weaken companies so competition concentration leverage reputation uh, reputational damage or fraud and government intervention these are the five uh, big risks now th- there are some people who say uh, the change in culture at a company is is even bigger risk than all this and i i sort of agree with them but it's just very very hard for an outside investor to sit and figure out whether the culture at a company is changing or not uh, it, it's just in in most cases i have no visibility into the culture of the companies that i'm investing in so i i can look at glass door and uh, try to see what employees are saying about a particular company and things like that which gives me a limited amount of information but it's it's really hard for outside investors to try and figure out uh whether the, the culture at a company is uh, improving or degrading over time so that's why i'm not really listing uh these kinds of qualitative changes um uh, the, the the culture change at a company uh, as as a serious risk uh, e- even even though it it can be it's just too hard for investors to evaluate in my opinion uh but you can be sure that if if the culture at a company is degrading and so on uh sooner or later it's going to show up in the numbers it's going to show up in the financial statements and then uh the it it becomes apparent to investors and 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 then there may be some time to uh, diversify away from this kind of risk in the portfolio uh so these are the five five big risks and uh, so some some people have asked me look uh, yes all, all companies die eventually uh there, there's no no company in the history of the world uh which which uh is going to survive forever or which has survived forever every company eventually dies so uh when you say uh five key risks these are the ways that companies die uh, sh- how how can we buy companies for our portfolios that never die it's just impossible if every company is going to die then uh, what's the point of picking companies in a portfolio uh because they're all going to die one day so what what i will say is that uh, investing is not just avoiding risk so yes every company dies but investing is not about choosing companies that don't die investing is about investing in companies that that can give you enough cash before they die that they make the investment worth it so 
uh, if i if i buy a company for 100 dollars and uh, between now and the time that the company dies the company pays me back 200 dollars then i've still made money on that investment uh, even though the company eventually dies so that that is the point of investing it's disciplined risk taking so of course i should be aware that there are risks associated with the company i should know what are all the ways uh, this company can possibly die what are the most likely ways this company can die and so on but if i'm adequately compensated for taking that risk in the form of a higher return or in the form of uh, uh, ma- making a, a return on my investment over time uh, then it's okay to take that risk as long as we adopt a sort of diversified mindset to our portfolio we don't bet all our money on on the a single company and then that company dies and takes down our entire portfolio with it as long as we don't do uh, we don't commit big mistakes like this uh, overall investing can be a very rewarding game even though every company dies it is still possible to make a positive return on an investment if we buy those companies at sensible prices and they pay us back enough cash flows between now and whenever they die so that that is one of the fundamental concepts of investing investing is disciplined risk taking so being aware of the risk and being adequately compensated for them uh so let me just go over a few examples of these companies uh these different kinds of effects these different kinds of risks that companies go through so i said the first big risk is competition for example so within competition there are many different ways that competition can kill off companies so one common way is uh, there are two companies they are competing for a particular market or something and then one of the companies decides that it's going to undercut the other one on price and then what happens is uh, com- let's call them company a and company b company a decides that it's going to slash its prices and then what happens is company b is also forced to slash their prices because uh, otherwise they won't be able to compete uh, and this is sort of like a race to the bottom and then uh, the, both companies may end up dying or one of them may be dead and the other one may be seriously weak and think things like this can happen so uh, one, one example of this is uh, the the brokerage industry for example so uh, prices have been coming down uh, when you buy a stock uh, it it used to be that 20 years ago 30 years ago uh, the commission on trading a stock used to be something of the order of 50 to 70 dollars so every time you place a trade you'd be paying 70 dollars to your broker and that would be a discount broker so so this is the discount deal is 70 dollars per trade Uh, and then today we are at uh, at a place where every single broker is offering zero dollar trades right and so some sometime i believe in 2019 what charles schwab did is they said we are going to uh, eliminate our uh, brokerage fees entirely and so, uh, so once charles schwab slashed its fees to zero every other company uh, e trade td ameritrade they they all had to slash their brokerage fees uh, to to zero as well so this is an example where one competitor uh, in an industry takes a particular action and then that reduces profits for all the other competitors in the industry and so uh, this kind of uh, competitive dynamic happens all the time and charles schwab itself Uh, may not have been uh, it, it may not be out of the blue that they decided to take this decision they may have been threatened by robin hood and other 
new brokers who are coming up. So it's very important to be aware of the competitive dynamics in an industry. So brokerage, for example, executing trades, it's almost a commodity offering. So there isn't that much difference between uh, going and buying a stock on Charles Schwab and going and buying a stock on E-Trade or in any of the other platforms. For most, uh, for, for institutional investors and so on, there may be some differences. But for most individual investors, this is almost like a commodity. And the problem is when you have a commodity offering, uh, the lowest price guy usually ends up winning. And uh, so, so it's, it often tends to be a race to the bottom. So as far as possible, we should try to invest in companies that don't have commoditized offerings. So there must be something unique about their product that customers are willing to pay for, not just uh, something that everybody else in the industry can replicate. And so uh, they are now competing purely on price. And uh, if one competitor takes some uh, uh, action, uh, that, that, that may end up destroying profits for everyone in the industry. So as far as possible, we shouldn't try to invest in companies like that. Uh, there's also uh, two, two other categories of competition. So one is a new entrant. So whenever a new entrant comes into the picture with a new way of doing things, that can be a risk to existing incumbents. So for example, when the internet uh, started, uh, when, when, when the full impact of the internet started being felt, uh, there was a whole bunch of travel agencies, Thomas Cook and everybody else who ultimately ended up uh, going bankrupt. They, they ended up losing their entire business because the internet is not a good thing for middlemen. So travel agency is the classic middleman. If you want to go to some place, uh, you, you go to a travel agency and they will help you book your, your trip. And these days we just use uh, Airbnb and booking.com and all these other websites, Google flights and everything. And so you don't need travel agents anymore. So the internet came in and this was a sort of new entrant into the field and it completely disrupted the existing way of doing things. And so all the travel agencies went out of business. Uh, so th this sort of thing can happen. Uh, and it, it is one common way that old business models, old companies die if they are not vigilant and if they don't adopt uh, the new way of doing business. Uh, there's also the substitute product, the threat of substitute products. Uh, so when, when the iPhone uh, came, it, it, it was a substitute uh, for, for uh, the old clunky devices like BlackBerry and, and so on. And uh, so, so this was like a new entrant which came out with a substitute product. And it turned out that the substitute product was far better uh, than in, in some ways than existing products out there. Uh, Blackberries and things like that. And so uh, Research in Motion, which was the company behind Blackberry, uh, was seriously weakened as, as a result of Apple joining the fray. Uh, so uh, this, this idea, uh, substitute products and new entrants and existing competitors, competitive dynamics in an industry, all, all these ideas, how competition works and how competition ends up reducing returns and creating risks for businesses. There is this guy called Michael Porter, who has done an enormous amount of work in this area and this review and so on. And so if, if you want to understand the competitive dynamics of the portfolio companies you invest in and so on, I suggest reading Michael Porter's uh, papers. And uh, there, there's also a very nice book called Understanding Michael Porter, which explains Porter's ideas better than Porter himself. <laughs> Good. 
so uh, I, I think this is a uh, if you are any kind of serious investor i think you should acquaint yourself at least with michael porter's uh, ideas they help you think so much more clearly about competitive dynamics in an industry and and so on okay so that that is competition uh, the the next thing is concentration so concentration is when you have a company um, and they they bet the farm on one thing and then that thing goes wrong somehow uh, so so the classic example is uh, if you take foot locker and nike so nike is this uh, wonderful company that makes apparels and shoes and all that and foot locker is a retailer in the us that sells these shoes now if you, if you look at foot locker's business model uh, essentially what they do is they buy stuff from nike uh, and then they sell it to uh, end customers so they have all these uh, locations in malls and various places and uh, so a significant portion of the inventory that foot locker carries a significant portion of their supply comes from a single supplier nike and now what nike is doing is uh, they are trying to move away from foot locker they are trying to market their products directly to customers through the nike app and uh, through their website and so on so what they are trying to do is they are trying to slowly increase the fraction of sales that are being made through their own channels instead of through foot locker and so foot locker's business is in a uh, they, they they are facing serious risk because now uh, all the products are uh, a very big fraction of their products comes from nike and if nike decides that they're not going to sell as much through foot locker anymore uh, foot locker is the company that that's hurt more than nike so that that kind of dynamic where foot locker relies too much on a single supplier uh, that that is not a good thing uh, similarly there are other companies where a single customer Uh, makes up for a big share of uh, the the company's revenues so one one company uh, that fits this mold is this company called scott's miracle grow uh, what they do is they sell all these uh, gardening supplies uh, soil and uh, the the things you need to make plants grow in your garden during summer and unfortunately what happens is um, they have two big customers home depot and lowe's and Uh, these two big customers account for a very very big part of this scott's miracle grow uh, grows revenues and so home depot can come to scott's um, uh, and tell scott's look uh, yeah we we are happy with your product but uh, we want a better price otherwise we will uh, not not be carrying your product on our shelves anymore and if if they do that then uh, scott's may have to slash its prices uh, to to home depot because home depot is such a big part of their business uh, so customer concentration is always a risk or home depot may not even say uh, we want better prices they may say uh, we'll we are happy with the current price you are giving us but we'll pay you two months later or something like that so now home depot is demanding better terms for uh, the same deal that they have with uh, with scots and scots may have to give home depot better terms more time to pay and so on so that's going to increase scots uh, capital requirements because they they will now uh, have more in receivables uh, from home depot and uh, when they, when they have more in receivables it means they have more capital required uh, to produce 1 dollar of earnings so previously if they had say 2 uh, dollars of capital for every 1 dollar in earnings uh, after this change they may require 5 dollars of capital to produce 1 dollar in earnings so the business is materially weakened as a result of this customer concentration Uh, so that that is a big big risk 
Similarly, uh, there could be employee concentration. So, uh, for example, how, how much of uh, Tesla's net worth uh, is, is related to Elon Musk? So if Elon Musk somehow decides to uh, leave Tesla tomorrow, uh, how much will the market cap come down by? It, it's anybody's guess, really. But uh, there is a very, very... Uh, that, that, that is... We are reasonably clear that there is a big reliance on... Elon Musk uh, for Tesla to derive its value. That is this key person risk uh, in Tesla. Uh, so uh, if, if you want to learn more about these kinds of risks uh, in, in Tesla's business model, uh, I recommend the newsletter of uh, Matt Levine. So he produces this wonderful newsletter called Money Stuff, where he, he argues that almost 50% of Tesla's uh, value or something like that uh, uh, almost 50% of Tesla's market cap is, is tied directly to Elon Musk's Twitter account. <laughs> uh, and if, if Elon Musk stops tweeting or decides that he's no longer going to uh, be active on Twitter or um, uh, on social media, uh, Matt Levine argues that uh, Tesla is going to lose a significant fraction of its value. Now, of course, it's, it's anybody's guess. Uh, the 50% figure may be completely off, but uh, it's... When you have a, a big part of your operations dependent on a single person, that is a single point of failure. And that can easily kill companies if something happens to Elon Musk or something like that. Uh, then there is product. Uh, so there is product concentration. When when a company relies on a single product uh, for uh, uh, for a bulk of for the for the bulk of its revenues, then there is always the risk uh, that if some competitor comes out with a better version of that product or something like that, the company goes out of business. Uh, so uh, we've already talked about uh, BlackBerry and Apple. So uh, BlackBerry's uh, research in motion was the company behind BlackBerry. And uh, they a significant fraction of their revenue came from the BlackBerry. And when Apple came out with the iPhone, uh, this, this product concentration nearly ended up killing them. Um, Lots of pharma companies, uh, they, they depend on a single product, uh, a single blockbuster drug or something like that. Uh, and when, when that drug uh, goes off patent or something like that, what happens is there are these generic drug manufacturers that come in and they are able to make the drug at, say, 10% of the... They're, they're able to sell the drug at 10% of the cost of the, uh, the, the original uh, drug. And then what happens is uh, our, our pharma companies also forced to reduce their prices uh, because the drug has gone off patent and then this reliance on a single product ends up uh, killing the company so that that is also a, a, a big risk so generally when when you depend on a single supplier or a single customer or a single employee or a single product uh, things like that that can kill off companies uh, th these types of concentration risk are very real and so as far as possible, we should try to avoid investing in companies where uh, a single thing, uh, a single variable going wrong can uh, derail the whole, uh, the, the whole company. So we should, we should try to avoid that kind of risk in our uh, portfolios. Uh, the third big way I said is uh, leverage. So we are all familiar with uh, how leverage kills companies. We've, we've done an entire episode on the dangers uh, of leverage uh, here in, in on money concepts. So um, the, during the financial crisis, for example, there was uh, 
Barry Stearns and uh, uh, Lehman Brothers and all these people, they, they they had enormous amounts of leverage. For every one dollar of their own money, they had like thirty dollars of uh, borrowed money and so on. So if they could, if they made a small mistake, uh, uh, say say three percent of the the loans uh, that they gave out, well, uh, if if three percent of the subprime mortgages that they bought uh, uh, defaulted. then uh, the the whole company would go belly up simply because uh, they didn't have enough equity so the entire equity portion of the capital would be wiped out uh, things like that so leverage can amplify returns but it can also dramatically amplify risk and so as far as possible we want to use we, we only want to invest in companies that uh, use leverage sensibly they don't take enormous risks where a small uh, a, a small mistake could kill them because of the effect of leverage so that that is another big risk leverage uh, then there is the uh, reputational damage or fraud this is the hardest to protect against uh, so so for example uh, I, i don't know how many of you remember but uh, a, a few years ago uh, some samsung uh, tablets or phablets uh, as they were called had these defective batteries and then what happened was some of these batteries caught fire and uh, so in the in the in some planes in the middle of the air uh, there there was uh, some of these batteries caught fire and some of these devices exploded and so on and there was a big uh, uh, news story uh, and uh, lo- lots of airlines uh, they 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 banned this particular product so if if you had this particular model of uh, phone or something like that you cannot get on the plane uh, because uh, it's not allowed it could uh, the 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 battery could explode and so on so this this big safety issue and uh, so the, there was a big recall that had to be done billions of dollars had to be spent and so on and that is a big risk to any company so when when we invest in companies that make these high tech products so for example um, a big portion of uh, our net worth uh, is in berkshire hathaway as i mentioned on this podcast before and berkshire has a big holding in apple so can i be 100% sure that uh, what happened to samsung to 3 uh, 3 uh, years ago 4 years ago does not have happened to apple later so next year how, how do i know that the next model of iphone isn't going to ship with a defective battery now of course apple does everything that it can to prevent this kind of thing but this is not a 100% sure thing there may be some impurity in the process or there may be some manufacturing defect or something like that somewhere and as an investor in apple i can read the financial statements and i can read the balance sheet and the cash flow statement and all that but i, I can't go and check what uh, uh, policies apple has in place in its factories to prevent phones uh, and even if i could go and check i don't know enough about uh, how to manufacture batteries to tell whether there is a risk or not Uh, so this is a very hard risk to protect against and pretty much the only way we can protect against this kind of risk is to diversify our portfolio so don't put all your money into apple is basically uh, the is one of the few ways we can protect ourselves because even if this risk happens uh, and it turns out that the next uh, next iphone explodes or something like that uh, if all our money isn't in apple then uh, we we are being we we may be adequately compensated for taking this kind of risk so even even if this risk happens it doesn't wipe out our entire portfolio so it's it's always important 
to be aware of single points of failure like this that can that can kill off entire companies or seriously weaken them so that we don't put all our money into one company that is why diversification is so important now a lot of people have told me look you say diversification is so important but uh, look at warren buffett look at his portfolio 30% of the portfolio is apple uh, so isn't he violating this uh, principle of diversification and i would say no he's not really violating it because uh, we shouldn't just look at warren buffett's portfolio we shouldn't just look at the uh, stock component of berkshire hathaway so berkshire hathaway has a giant insurance business they have a giant railroad they have uh, energy operations they 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 have manufacturing service retail they they, they own you know a, a huge number of businesses from uh, selling running shoes to uh, nebraska furniture mart and sees candies and it's it's just it's it's an economic fortress so it's not we, we shouldn't just look at the the portfolio part of berkshire hathaway and say they are taking too much risk with apple uh, it's uh, we we have to take a more holistic view of of risk um, and so, so i would say it's it's not that uh, buffett and munger running berkshire hathaway they they've always been uh, very very well diversified even though they get a reputation that they are not diversified enough if you just go back and look at where the earnings are coming from for the company it's a very very diversified stream of earnings coming from a wide variety of different sources and that is kind of what we have to aim for our own portfolios uh, we we shouldn't be dependent too much on a single company or a single risk factor uh, so 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 that there is the that reputation uh, reputational damage or fraud that can kill companies and and finally government intervention can can also seriously weaken companies so recently we uh, we have a lot of uh, probes antitrust probes into google and apple and amazon and so on so for example india recently uh, passed a law saying uh, amazon could either be a marketplace or they could sell their own products you can't do both so uh, either you can be a market where buyers and sellers can uh, connect with each other and sell products or you can sell your own products in the marketplace you you can't do both uh, so so you you can be either a retailer or a marketplace uh, so uh, this this might have weakened amazon's business in india uh, because they they can't do both uh, similarly uh, there, there there's a lot of uh, scrutiny on google and apple these days particularly the app store so google's app store and apple's app store they they both uh, take something like 30% of all revenues uh, to all apps coming from the app store so if you buy uh, an app for $9 uh, about $2.70 30% of $9 uh, goes to uh, apple just just for providing that app store and a lot of uh, regulators are looking at this and saying this is an unfair exercise of monopoly power so um, so they may pass a law saying you can't do this anymore and uh, if that happens then apple's earnings from the app store uh, may come down drastically so uh, th- these are the kinds of risks where uh, a government takes a close look at your business practices and says uh, no uh, you- you're not allowed to do that anymore that can seriously weaken a, a company uh, for example uh, the-, the 
recently there, there was a bunch of chinese private uh, for profit education companies and the chinese government came out and said uh, in the in the interest of education and in the in the interest of uh, uh, pu- public welfare uh, we we are going to ask you not to uh, engage in your business anymore so you can't be a uh, you, you can't make profit off of providing education and and or something like that and uh this single thing uh, a government can with, with a stroke of a pen they can erase your entire business model and this is a risk that is generally in in, in all countries uh, it, it is present although in countries like the us you can argue that the risk is lower uh, than if you compare it to countries like china where the government can unilaterally take uh, a much broader set of decisions uh, so there are there are these risks uh with with investing so really uh, the the only uh, kinds of remedies to to these kinds of risks is to be first to be aware of this risk so when we invest in a company we should be aware for example if we are buying foot locker shares of foot locker we should be aware that there is this risk with nike and uh, they they depend they they have supplier concentration uh, so uh, the the first step is to be aware of the risk uh, then we should insist on adequate compensation so if we are going to be taking this risk we need to be compensated adequately for it and the third thing is we shouldn't put all our money behind this one uh, risk factor because if that risk factor goes wrong then the whole company could die and take our entire portfolio down with it so adequate diversification is absolutely important and i would say that price discipline is also super important because uh, the price discipline gives us a, a margin of safety if we pay a very fancy price for a business uh, then usually the fancy price assumes that these risks will not come home to roost for a long time uh, so if 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 we pay say uh, say 100 times earnings for a stock or something like that uh, then what we are essentially betting is that uh, for the next several years this risk is not uh, these these risks are not going to affect the company um and the longer out we are looking uh, the greater the likelihood that some risk ends up taking down the company so price discipline is super important from that perspective so if we buy a company at say uh, 10 10 times earnings or something like that as long as the earnings remain uh, okay for 10 years um, uh, or if the company is growing even shorter we we are reasonably okay but if we pay 100 times earnings for a company uh, we we should be hoping that nothing bad happens to the company for a long long time and uh, so price discipline is super important and uh, the the last thing is sometimes what looks like a risk what looks like something that can kill off a company is actually not such a big risk so uh, the the canonical example of this is the salad oil crisis so uh, american express went through this this uh, salad oil scandal a uh, long time ago i believe it was in 1963 where uh, they, they they gave some uh, collateral to some company or something like that where uh, on the strength of some salad oil inventory and what happened was uh, uh, the, the american express uh, inspectors they went out to this company and they inspected the company's reserves and based on the strength of these reserves they gave the company money or something like that and then uh, it turned out that a lot of the barrels of oil that uh, they found uh, were, were mostly water and uh, empty barrels and they the company said 
that it had all these barrels of oil but it didn't really have any of these uh, uh barrels of oil uh, it had very little oil and <laughs> so what happened was uh, that that almost killed american express uh, but uh, warren buffett looked at this and said look american business uh, american express is not in the business of uh, salad oil Uh, they are providing a payment service they are giving people uh, a way to pay through their credit cards they are giving uh, americans a way to travel abroad and make these payments uh, outside the country without worrying about foreign exchange and things like that and so that is a very solid business and people are continue going to continue to use the product that way use american express cards uh, regardless of whether this sa- salad oil thing uh, uh, regardless of whether uh, this this crisis is present or not so warren buffett uh, took a view that yes this thing is a big risk in the short term uh, but it's not going to kill the company uh, the company is going to come back from this and uh, it's going to be a much stronger company in the future than it is today and so he went and bought shares at a rock bottom price because the shares had been beaten down uh, and uh, he he made a killing off of that particular investment simply because what looked like a big risk wasn't actually a big risk so uh, there are ways that we can uh, if if we are good at assessing this kind of risk uh, we may be able to capitalize on some of these opportunities but then again it's super important to be adequately diversified we should put all our money behind it just in case uh, the the crisis eventually uh, does end up killing the company uh, so broadly speaking uh, these are all the things that i wanted to talk about uh, all the risks that kill off companies and how we can try and protect our portfolios from these risks and uh, so now uh, i'd be happy to uh, open the show to callers so if you if you guys want to ask a question or two do do we have any callers okay so uh, the first caller is ricardo hello thank you hey good afternoon um i'm really sad today because um in your bookkeeping notes um i was actually not prepared i was of you saying that um the money concepts will be coming to an end um i really enjoy this program and um it has taught me a lot i love your ability to communicate um difficult concepts break it down for me to understand and i mean to take the time each um we to prepare these programs i know it takes a lot um to break down these concepts for us to understand um i'm not sure if this well i mean it's, it's not all able. doom and gloom <laughs> so so i, I will definitely mm-hmm. try uh, to the, the show is coming to an end on colin but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the show is uh coming to an end i i i definitely enjoy these episodes a lot and mm. i'm definitely going to look for some other way to conduct these episodes i it, it won't be through call in but it may be through zoom or youtube live or uh, there are a large number of mm. other options so <laughs> th- would, thank would, you very would, much for the kind words about the show 
but we we will try to keep it going as much as possible which, and we'll try which, to ne- next time we'll try to do it through an open format so that no, no single app can can kill us so we we have to follow our own advice regarding this kind of diversification and avoiding single points of failure and things like that <laughs> i guess uh, this time with the program today also um would the would the episode still be available though after words uh, i believe so yes so um as as long as the call in app is around i'm i'm not going to go in and delete past episodes or anything like that i'm just going to leave all the episodes in there and uh as long as the app exists mm-hmm. i think the episodes will continue to exist okay well i'm happy to hear because i i like the you know we all learn different ways i like your twitter um how you break down the 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 concepts also but there's something about um the audible the teaching um it's like you having so to speak a lunch with um Warren Buffett at one of his those expensive lunch because normally i have my routine every sunday it's really lunch time here to look forward to these program but i'll keep um in touch with the twitter and see um what's happening but then again um I'd like to say thanks again and this topic also it's a very important one which I think um it's relevant to what's going on now thank you very much thank you oh absolutely thank thank you so much you you're too kind uh, I, I don't know I, I wouldn't personally compare this to <laughs> lunch with warren buffett or something like that but thank you so much that that is incredibly kind of you to say the thing is you know when you bring somebody from not an investor to a a stage when the person is able to make proper in, investment decision that can have impact on their lives and their family that's a big step warren buffett can take a millionaire and turn them into billionaire but taking somebody from um that doesn't know anything about investment breaking down um like your past episodes about balance sheet um income statement and so on the way you explain these are things that i don't think even warren himself could break down um for the, for for um persons at my level like that so thank you again thank you uh, th- thank you so much yes you're absolutely right so i'm a firm believer in uh investing for uh, general for, for for a large number of people so uh, if you if you look at the interest rates that we are getting on our checking and savings accounts and if you just look at inflation uh, it's very clear that every dollar that we keep uh, every dollar of our savings that we don't invest every dollar that we keep in simply uh, a checking or savings account is losing purchasing power over time and some of us will be able to tolerate that loss in purchasing power simply because we we have so many dollars that even if they lose a little bit of the purchasing power we are still fine but the majority of us we depend on these dollars retaining their purchasing power and not just retaining but maybe even growing their purchasing power o- over time and the only way to do that for most of us is to learn how to do investing properly and so i i want to help as many people as possible invest their money in an intelligent way uh, so that they can lead comfortable lives 
and uh, so, so i i will try to uh, continue doing these episodes uh, for as long as i can uh, the the next caller is alex hello okay hey um i do want to yeah say kind of shout out to ricardo because yeah all he said i i kind of feel very similar to him i mean it's really cool to be able to get answers from you because i mean yeah this part is i mean it is super exciting and yeah hopefully we can you can get another space and yeah i mean you're you put the thing so simple that i mean it's just yeah, i mean it's, it's amazing how how fun is to read your threads on twitter and everything you, you do is really really fascinating and thanks for that thank you so much i really appreciate it and well my, my question is one that um like i would like to know how do you read the 10k like i mean i think there was an episode on starbucks that i found on youtube that was pretty cool uh but i mean i would like to know like what are your steps i mean you see that you go to the business section and then what like i mean how long does it take you how many years you usually try to to see on a company and i mean i would like to to know how you do it right uh, so usually even before i pick up a 10k for a company i've already formed some snap judgment of the company uh, based on services like ticker and and so on so i'm a subscriber to the ticker app and so even before looking at a 10k i've typically looked at several years worth of financial statements for a company so i have some reasonable idea of what the company does and uh i've seen the the financial statements for several years because they are available on ticker and uh i i i've seen maybe maybe revenues are growing maybe profits are growing faster than revenues and so on i've i've seen some things that i like and then i decide that okay fine uh, this 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 particular company may be worthy of further study and that is when i i pick up a, a 10k so uh, that is the first step even even before picking picking up a 10k i i do a little bit of analysis and because there are there are 5000 companies or 10000 companies out there i can't read every single 10k so i have to have some filtering mechanism for to decide which 10ks i read and this is what i do uh, so once i pick up a 10k uh, the the business section is all important uh, to read because there are so many aspects of a business that we think we understand but only when we read the business section of the 10k uh, we will uh, uh, sometimes i understand that my understanding was wrong for example so if if you look at uh, coca cola's 10k for example so a lot of people think they know how coca cola makes money uh, they 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 sell these uh, uh, cans and bottles of coke all, all over the world but it actually turns out that uh, they they make a, a very significant fraction of their money by selling just syrup concentrate not the bottles and cans that you see uh, in in the in the stores and if you didn't read coca cola's 10k if you if you just went to grocery stores and uh, uh, places where coca cola is sold you may think you understand coca cola's business really well uh, but you won't actually be understanding the economics the economic drivers of the business because most of the economic drivers uh, a significant part of them come from the syrup not from the uh, ready made uh, bottled drinks uh, so 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 it's important to read the business section it will give you insights like this one uh, the other important thing to do uh, sorry go ahead 
Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so I I I read the entire uh, business section very thoroughly. Uh, then the next section of the 10K is usually the risks uh, section. So uh, the risk section, the the nice thing about it is there are these bold headings usually. And then those bold headings are followed by description of each risk. So, for example, one one particular bold heading might say, uh, if if we suffer a, a cyber attack or something like that, uh, then um, our business may be materially hurt. Things like this. So, uh, I weigh some risks more than others. So, cyber attack, for example, every single company almost can say that. So this is this is not like a risk that is relevant to this particular company that I'm analyzing, uh, the, the, this particular 10K that I'm reading. Almost every single 10K will say, uh, if if there's a cyber attack, we, we, we may be hurt. Sure. So I, I don't weigh that risk very, very seriously. But sometimes there is a big risk. So for example, if, if a single shareholder controls a significant part of the company. So if, if, a, share, if a single shareholder owns 70% of the stock or something like that, and they have power to take decisions uh, that may not be fully in the interest of minority shareholders. I weigh those kinds of risks much more seriously. So uh, over a period of time, I've, uh, I have some appreciation for how important different risks are. And uh, there will be a huge number of risks listed in any 10K because they are written by lawyers for lawyers. And uh, so it's, it's important to take a view of uh, which are the crucial risks? And I, I, I like to uh, think about a business deeply and think about the risks they face uh, from from this perspective. Uh, so so that, that is the next section of the 10K, the risk section. And then usually there's the, the financial statements and the notes to the financial statements. So this particular part of the 10K, I read it very thoroughly. Uh, and when I, when I take multiple years of 10Ks, what I do is I pay... Uh, particular attention to the financial statements section. So, I, I, f- for example, from the from the balance sheet, uh, I, I, I like to see uh, how much capital the business requires. And uh, if, if uh, say, revenues have been growing at 10%, uh, has capital also been growing at 10% or has capital been growing at a lower rate? Uh, and if, if, if a business doesn't need any extra capital to produce extra earnings, I love those kinds of businesses a lot, uh, simply because uh, they they can they can return all the earnings back to shareholders and and so on. Uh, or even even if the business uh, keeps uh, investing capital back into the business, if it is able to earn a better and better return on that capital over time, I, I like to see that as well. So, doing a bunch of analysis on the financial statements, trying to see our revenues growing, uh, our, what what are the different segments of the business. Uh, which which segments uh, are growing at what rates? Is there operating leverage in the business or not? Uh, what is the tax rate that the businesses are uh, the business is paying? Uh, so a whole bunch of things like this. Uh, what what is the difference between earnings and cash flows? Um, how how serious is stock based compensation? Are they diluting shareholders to a large extent every single year just to pay stock based compensation to the executives I, I look at all these different things uh, from from the financial statements and we've done uh, three separate episodes one about income statement one about the balance sheet and one about cash flow statement I, I don't want to rehash everything here but I, I spend a significant fraction of my time reading the financial statements um, then there there is usually management uh, commentary to the uh, to the financial statements and so on that that will be present in the 10k but 
I don't really set too much store by management commentary simply because uh, m- management say say different things all the time, <laughs> and uh, some sometimes uh, they will say, you know, our our cash flows went down uh, because our profits went down. Uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, your cash flows went down because your profits went down. But why did the profits go down? <laughs> well, that they won't say in the commentary. So you 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 have to. uh take management commentary with a pinch of salt anyway so i i like to do my own uh analysis and try to figure out where the business is going and uh, m- most of the time i don't really build financial models for the company but sometimes what i will do is i will um use python or excel or one of those things to input some of the numbers and try to project what the future of the business may look like under a variety of different assumptions uh so uh, sometimes i like to do that as an exercise just just like what uh, aswadhamodaran does but uh, to much less detail uh, so aswadhamodaran does this to a, to enormous amount of detail but I, i i like to take some of the numbers and just play with them and sometimes building a spreadsheet or writing a python program helps me visualize these things better so i i may do that uh, that's pretty much all i do really and then since the 10k has been published there may be a few 10 queues that have been published every quarter since the 10k so typically i will i will not invest just based on the 10k i will also read uh, all the 10 queues that have been published since the latest 10k just to make sure nothing uh, material has changed in the business nothing uh, there's been no adverse development over the last few quarters and things like that usually for the businesses that i study uh they they generally have strong moats and things like that so uh the, the business is usually improving over time and not degrading so i i usually don't see too many big surprises in the 10q but still i like to read them before going out and buying the stock so th- this is what my process generally looks like okay well thank you so much i appreciate your answer sure Uh, so the next caller is uh, Ravi. Hey Tengen, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Tengen, for uh, helping the investment community. I really appreciate her. Uh, my question. Uh, I have a two question. Uh, the one question, uh, like, where I can find the uh, promoter holding? Uh, or founder holding or executive holding uh, like what is their comp- uh, like a bonus plan or compensation uh, i mean i generally look that information in proxy statement i don't find that in 10k uh, or is there any website where i can look this information as well as so i believe ticker provides some information about uh, uh, the the owners of the business so so how many shares do uh, different beneficial uh, owners uh, h- how many shares each one has how, how many shares does the ceo own uh, how many shares uh, do the board members own and and things like that uh, and mm-hmm. you're absolutely right you can look at the proxy statement so uh, i believe it's called the def 14a or something like that uh so uh, if if you just pull up the proxy statement uh, from either the company's investor relations website or uh, mm-hmm. the uh, sec's edgar website 
it it will list how many shares each person owns and what their uh, how they are compensated so uh, what what is the ceo's incentive uh, over the next few years looking like if if the company grows at uh, how many extra shares will the ceo be granted uh because of that growth and and what what their compensation plan looks like and and things like that so uh, i don't think i do anything very differently from you uh, i i also look at the proxy statement to to get this information uh one additional thing that i like to look at is uh, if just because the ceo owns a lot of shares uh doesn't mean that uh, they are mm-hmm. uh, in the same boat as other shareholders simply because it makes a big difference whether the the ceo has gone out and bought the shares with their own money or whether they were mm. simply given those shares as executive executive compensation or something like that and secondly uh, just because a ceo has been selling shares uh, it's not necessarily a bad sign so a lot of people view insider sales uh, as a as a red flag so if a ceo has been selling shares uh, then mm-hmm. it's it's not a good sign uh i like to take a more nuanced view of of this uh no of course if if the ceo dumps every single share as soon as he gets them then that may be a red flag but uh, ceos uh, just just like how we say we shouldn't put all our money into a single company uh, a ceo also shouldn't put all their money uh, in, into a single company and if a big part of their net worth is tied to a single company that may be a single uh, source of failure for them and no no company is 100% robust to to failures so if they have to diversify some of their personal holdings by selling shares of the company and so on uh, to uh, to to diversify their their personal portfolios i understand that so i, I don't think it's a big red flag so it's it's important to uh, see uh how the, how the ceo is being compensated that that i i pay more attention to that than how many shares they they personally own uh, or what they do with their shares i i like to look at how they are being compensated and sometimes it's very clear that uh, the alignment of uh, interest is not there between the shareholders and the ceo so for example the ceo may be compensated based on earnings per share growth and uh, mm-hmm. one simple way to achieve uh, earnings per share growth is simply to buy back as much stock as you can so if the mm-hmm. the company has 1 billion dollars of cash on hand they can use that entire 1 billion to go and buy back shares or sometimes they can even issue extra debt and use the cash to go and buy back shares and the more shares they buy back uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the the smaller the denominator is for the eps calculation earnings per share and so uh, the the higher the eps will be Uh, so if a ceo is being compensated based on growth in eps w- w- what they may be tempted to do is to just do a large amount of share buybacks at not necessarily a great price but something that helps them get higher compensation now it turns out that a lot of ceos are compensated based on eps growth but a lot of them also take good decisions on behalf of shareholders just because they are being compensated in this way doesn't mean they are going to make bad decisions so understanding the incentives is one thing but also understanding how they have responded to these kinds of incentives in the in the past so um the, a ceo may be compensated on eps but they may still take responsible decisions uh, with shareholder money 
so they they may be people of very high integrity and uh, their composition is not the only thing that matters to them uh, overall return for minority shareholders also matters to them so uh, they 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 take good capital allocation decisions even though their incentives may not be perfectly aligned so it's important to look look at the past history of capital allocation at the company to see whether this particular management team uh, has been uh, doing right by the shareholders or not so so i i supplement the information in the in the proxy statement with all these different uh, assessments of how i think the ceo is uh, treating shareholder money got it thank you thank you for answer it's very helpful and second question what i have where do you put your cash portfolio right now because in in start of this year my cash portfolio i put it in uh, i bond for family right. member 10000 but that's a 10000 limit only uh, so the 2021 and 2022 i put it that then rest of my money i put it in inflation protection bond and vanguard has a two one short term and another is regular inflation protection bond but even that inflation protection bond is down almost 7 8% so um i mean do you have any view where we should put uh, our where we should invest our cash portfolio Uh, right that that is a great question and <laughs> so uh, if if you want to learn more about i bonds and uh, 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 tips tre- uh, treasury inflation protect- protection securities uh, tips yeah uh, i i suggest you go and read uh, this guy called uh, the rational walk he has very uh, he, he has a robust set of thoughts on how exactly you can go and uh, get the maximum out of these kinds of securities Um, how how to put park your cash there and and so on so it's true that uh, f- for example you you mentioned that there is a limit on how much you can contribute uh, to an i bond every year and uh, so it turns out that if you're married uh, you can actually multiply that limit by 2 uh, because you yeah. can contribute that much and your spouse can contribute that much and then if you're getting mm-hmm. a tax refund uh, so one thing you can do is you can intentionally overpay your tax and then uh you can take the refund in the form of i bonds instead of taking uh taking it in cash uh, you, you can do all these different things and uh, the rational walk uh, he he's got uh, some very nice pointers on how to do this but uh, i must confess that i don't do any of these things i just uh, keep my cash as cash <laughs> and yes i know that it is losing uh, purchasing power and uh, uh it's it's not even in inflation protected securities or or anything like that my goal is really to spend the majority of my time trying to find great investments uh for the cash so uh, i i leave the cash as cash in our uh, uh, brokerage accounts earning exactly 0% interest <laughs> and uh, I, my job is to find good investments for uh for that cash and so i spend the bulk of my time reading uh 10k's and 10q's and trying to identify companies and doing all these things i don't really pay too much attention to uh to the cash part of the portfolio now it's not strictly optimal to do this uh but it's uh, t- to me uh, the cost of doing this is not that great as long as i can find 
good use for the cash within a reasonably short time interval i i don't mind so much that uh, the cash is just sitting there losing purchasing power totally makes sense totally makes sense i agree with you because even that i used to do till last year but i started in last year december onwards to put money on the inflation protection but honestly i don't have that much good understanding and i invested now i have to look and i have to think about that one also rather than right. cash is totally makes sense it's okay uh, inflation is 5% i will lose the 5% purchasing power but let's i can spend more time on the finding the good investment well that that is my view and sometimes what i do is i i uh, i sell options uh, so so for example uh, when i sell a put option uh, what, mm-hmm. what happens is uh, i'm giving somebody the right uh, to to sell shares to me at a particular price so if if i like a particular company uh, but that company is not if i think it's slightly overpriced or something like that what i can do is i can sell an out of the money put option and so essentially what i'm doing is i'm earning a yield on the cash that i have because when i agree to buy say 100000 worth of stock at a particular price i have to keep this 100000 of cash on the side because i don't i don't like to do leverage leveraged uh, uh, i i don't like to do naked put options so when i sell this put option i get paid a certain amount of premium and that premium is something like a yield that i get on the cash that i have in my account so i i do things like this uh, when when i can't find any great opportunities to invest the cash right now but i can sell mm-hmm. some put options at an attractive yield uh, so that that is one way i use the cash balance in in our brokerage account to uh, to earn a little bit of option premium and uh, uh, earn a yield that way uh, so so that that is one one thing i do but otherwise the, the cash just stays as cash if i can't find any opportunities so uh, i i think that's a good could i do that thing also but sometimes i miss the opportunity also because if the okay if is a per stock right now 140 i put 120 so if it will happen 120 then it will go to 110 and then again back to 130 still i am not able to buy because right the That, that's where i will miss that opportunity because if you have right. a cash you know that whenever hit the 120 i want to buy i don't want to miss that one right exactly it depends on what the price of the security is on the day uh, the the put expires <laughs> uh, yeah so, exactly. so, yes exactly exactly so when you when you sell an option uh, the guy who buys the option decides whether to exercise it or not not you uh, and but yeah. but that's why you get paid the premium <laughs> yeah okay it's not risk free yeah yeah okay got it thank you thank you very much for your answer and your time uh, absolutely you. absolutely so the next caller is uh, rehards hello tanke hey hi um first of all thank you for the show and um um after next week will there be a pause uh, before your next platform oh yeah yeah absolutely so i i will try to uh, i'm still trying to uh, do research on a bunch of different platforms to try and see which which one 
makes more sense than the others but i i i will definitely try to keep you guys uh, updated as much as possible so as soon as i find something i'll post on twitter and uh, uh, ne- next week also i hope to have some update during the episode so wh- whatever i have next week i'll share it with you and uh, yeah i'll i'll do my best to uh, to keep you guys updated okay i have two questions um unrelated to one one unrelated to the topic and one related so first is uh, i want to ask you about um management fees of of funds uh, so uh, there are like all these funds like pension funds and and other money management funds they usually have these management fees and those right. fees are usually percentage from uh, assets under management and so my question is uh, let, let's take uh, simple round numbers let's let's take there's 100000 under management and management fee is 1% right. so th- this year the management fee is 1000 suppose uh, one year forward there is no inflows and un- un- outflows of funds but this this it's very good year for assets after one year those assets are worth 150000 so uh, do i understand correctly that this 1% fee has now become 1500 dollars or is or uh, is it still 1000 well i believe th- uh, the way most uh, aum based fees work uh it it is now 1500 dollars mm-hmm. uh, but you, you you do have to look at uh, the the fine print of uh, uh, the individual fund because there there are all kinds of different fund managers and they all charge uh, different kinds of aum based fees and so on but the way most of them work is yes if uh, the aum rises it doesn't matter whether it's because of inflows or whether it's because the current portfolio has grown either way whatever uh, the new aum is uh, they get a, a a cut of the new aum now some of them they may take the aum at the start of the year some of them may take the start of the year plus the end of the year divided by 2 or something like that so the, the exact method of doing the calculation varies from fund to fund but broadly speaking yes higher, higher the aum higher the fees regardless okay. of where the aum came from okay thank you and second question regarding this topic of companies dying <clears throat> i have it's a little bit philosophical question actually um uh well those are the best questions <laughs> because there's no right answer so i can say yeah. whatever i want <laughs> okay <laughs> um i uh, it looks to me that uh, for a company of not dying is very important but it's not clear to me if um they can uh, state not dying uh, as a goal and i i will explain uh, on a okay, example so, sorry your it... last uh, last sentence cut out a little bit i i heard the words it's not clear to me but after that i didn't hear anything uh-huh. so it's not clear to me if uh, companies should make a goal to last uh like 100 years or, or 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 whatever amount of 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 time and i will give an example of 
of Alibaba, I, I'm thinking about. <clears throat> so Al- Alibaba has this goal of operating in three centuries. So Alibaba was founded uh, in, in last century, I believe 1999. So it's the first century. Then right now we are in second century. And so they want to to continue to operate into third century, which, which will be next century. Uh, and, wait, and, wait. And, if you found a company in 1999, uh, yeah. then of course... <laughs> You know, it's easy to cross the millennium and then, but you can't call yourself as a company that's a century old. <laughs> You've been in business for only a year. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know how but, that calculation works. No, well, probably it works for them. <laughs> okay, but okay, so I will continue. So they want to continue to operate into next century. And, and my philosophical question is, after listening to uh, Professor Damodaran, uh, when he state he believes that companies' sole main goal is multiplication of value, right? Uh, of wealth. Right. Uh, so uh, my philosoph- philosophical question is: If company has goal to continue to operate into next century, it's not obvious to me whether this goal jeopardizes main goal of creating value because it kind of can work a little bit against the main goal of creating value. What do you think? Uh, Yes, absolutely. So, well, so creating value itself is kind of an ambiguous goal. So creating value for whom is the question. And usually the answer in a capitalist society, at least, is uh, companies exist to create value for their owners. But if you if you look at most companies, uh, at least founder-led companies, and uh, people found companies because they have a mission in life. Uh, so I, I have a company, uh, and uh, my aim is to help as many people as possible achieve financial freedom and uh, teach investing to as many people as possible now my my mission is this and i'm not really uh, yes i i do want to make some money at the end of the day out, out of it but that's not really my primary goal uh, so a lot of great companies they have this this mission in life and uh, the the founder has a particular mission and he wants to achieve this mission and the company is just a vehicle for achieving this mission. So it's not all about just making money, uh, even though a finance professor like Professor Damodaran may look at it and say, a company is just a, a series of cash flows, but it's, it's not really that. Uh, the second thing is, even if it is just about money, even if we are talking just about making money, uh, there is definitely a trade-off between longevity and profitability. So uh, it's, it may be possible to make uh, a lot of profits in the, in the short term if you accept a slightly increased risk of going out of business in the long term. So now the risk has to be evaluated. So, for example, when an insurance company writes a policy or something like that, uh, they may be well aware that there may, there may be a 1% chance that the whole company goes under because of that single policy. But they may take the view that uh, 
the the expected time to failure for this policy is something like a hundred years, uh, and so we, in the time between now and when the policy fails, if there's a terrorist attack or something, maybe the policy uh, pays out, uh, we will be able to make profits, and so now there is a trade-off between uh, profitability and uh, longevity. So this has to be examined in a certain amount of detail. Is lo- longevity just for the sake of longevity is usually not not a great idea. Uh, you do want your companies to to be long lasting and durable and to have a moat and all all those things. You want your companies to stay in business for as long as possible, but only if they are adding value. And adding value could be, you know, creating a great product or service, helping customers, uh, making money for owners, uh, profitability, um, generating cash flows. All these different things are part of adding value, keeping employees happy, providing livelihood to so so many uh, employees. All of that. So, uh, if there is a trade-off between uh, just longevity and uh, so, so, so it's it's not just about living long; it's also about living well. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so, so that, that that would be my philosophical <laughs> reply uh, to, to the answer. So, so, so I, I I don't really think longevity just for the sake of longevity is uh, something to be uh, uh, something should uh, to be aimed for. Uh, I think it's really important to also uh, focus on what you do with the time that is given to you sort of right yeah maybe maybe idea is uh, about leaving legacy and 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 if your company has operated in three centuries you can say like i have left very 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 large legacy but also uh, like if if i look at the people's lives like sometimes short Short lives are so so fulfilled, and people with short lives leave so much legacy behind. So, it's probably similar with uh, with 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 uh, with, with uh, companies too. So, yeah, longevity longevity for sake of longevity is probably not the best um, idea. Yeah, right. Ex- exactly. So, um, l- look at Steve Jobs for example. I think Steve Jobs was born in 1955, and uh, he died in 2011. So uh, he he lived for only about uh, fifty six, fifty seven years. Um, but just look look at his legacy. Look at what he created in in that time. And, and there are several people who who live to ninety five years old who who don't achieve one tenth of what Steve Jobs has achieved. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so yeah, you're uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's not just longevity for the sake of longevity. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so we have Ricardo again on the call. Hello again. Thank you. I hey. forgot to mention something before. Um, sure. I, I, you had a guess about, I think it was last Sunday or this Sunday before. Um, his name is what? Um, Babe. He was on your program and he wrote the book, The Joys of Compounding. Yes. So I, I based on your show i actually ordered the book but i haven't oh, received nice. as yet i've received and one of the comments i had made that time was if he had an audible version and he said um not yet he would um talk to his publisher right um 
I said that to say this. I think uh, our uh, suggestion would be, you know, your programs have so much knowledge. And I think for a person like me to have it in one place, you know, when I heard, when, when I was listening to that guest, I was thinking about your, you having your, a condensation of your Twitter, some of your Twitter, and the calling program into like a Kindle book on Amazon, where persons like myself, who is not very active on Twitter, you know, could have everything in one place. And even to have an audible version of that, where the thing about you, unlike a lot of authors, is that they probably don't able to communicate or their voice or so. So they have another reader. They have a reader to do the audible book. But you are such a good teacher. I think you could do your own audible book of your Kindle, which you have in these episodes, so many nuggets, you know. And one other thing I love about it is that you give reference to books that you have read for example, I try to make jottings if I can during your program. For example, I have on my little paper, Poor, Alme- Poor Charlie's Almanac, Howard Marks, um, Letters by Berkshire Hathaway, 2007, 2013, 1986, articles, how the inflation swindled the investors. So in the Kindle book, you would have all those reference that um, you mentioned in, in like, programs like this. The thing is, sometimes I don't get to write the, 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 the books down and I would have to listen back um, or the program to find where exactly you had mentioned these little reference, which are so valuable because, you know, it save us from, it kind of guide us to where we can get valuable. You had done the hard work to read through this book and guiding us to these um reference sources so that's a suggestion but i think you putting this into a kindle book and an audible version would be something that um persons like myself and many others would really um love to have and including in the book is also like questions because you your visit your your guests on this program i learned so much from the question they ask so even on the 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 there could even be a chapter about frequently asked questions and questions that you get like from this program. Just a suggestion. Oh, that that's such a lovely suggestion. Thank you so much. Um, I will uh, definitely look into it. And uh, yeah, I, I have been thinking about writing a book for a for a long time. It's just that uh, writing a book is a completely different ball game from writing a thread or something like that. With with a thread. Or, or even with a podcast episode like this, you get instant feedback and you get immediate engagement and you, you get to talk to so many of your readers and listeners and so on. And it's, it's, it makes for so much more fun. Whereas writing a book is a much more solitary activity. You, you, you sort of, you have to put in the effort every single day uh, for a long time. And then maybe at the end of two years or something like that, you have some something out there. And then you get comments on it. That's that's usually the way uh, a book works. <laughs> and uh, to me, at least, 
putting out these threads and uh, creating content on twitter and uh, uh, creating this podcast it, just the way i work it's it's so much more fun to do these things uh, than than to work on a book uh, but but you're right if if you already have a large library of content you can just sort of select the best from uh, this and then maybe putting a book together becomes so much easier and you won't take so much time uh, th- that's definitely a valid point so thank thank you so much for the suggestion it's a great one yes thank you very much um sure the the the, the thing is um you know i enjoy your threads on twitter um when i do get the chance to read um but there are those of us who i wouldn't want to use the word lazy but would like everything or at least the major things as i said in one place even if it's a reference to to your online um site site or your twitter but as things are becoming dynamic you now for persons i i think i do see some books where they have link to their website on on online so it's like it's up to date of what is published in the book um and you right. mentioned um um a lot of some some of your guests all of your guests you know on this um money concept they 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 provide so much information i think there's place for this to be packaged in like a audible content even if it's something not formal for example berkshire letters i mean they, they i think there's books that they just publish the letters just as how it is right um um and there are persons who read them like yourself so thank you again yeah I, I, absolutely thank thank you so much for the suggestion yes uh so the the next caller is uh, alex again hey thank you yeah i do i do agree again with ricardo i think i mean if you have the time and the willingness to i mean obviously that is fun for you to do it that'd be great um yeah so and my question is what would be the uh piece of literature let's say a book or i mean buffett letters or howard marks that has influenced the most in like your mind like i know you have information for so many sources but if you had to spend yeah let's say i don't know the next month reading something what would it be to put the most knowledge in your um head uh, right so i i would say buffett letters uh, buffett's letters definitely played a big role in shaping my thinking as an investor and uh, i think it is the biggest single influence on my thinking so uh, so buffett has a bunch of partnership letters and he has a uh the berkshire letters to berkshire shareholders so there are two sets of letters and they're both very good uh so there are about 60 of these letters i think buffett started writing these letters in 1965 uh at least the the shareholder letters start in 1965 the partnership letters uh, there are a few of them before that uh so there are about 60 of these letters and i think if you're just getting started with investing you should definitely read all all the 60 letters even if you just take them in order 
if you read one letter a day or something like that you you have it will take you 60 days to complete this this project and so 60 days is roughly 2 months and in those 2 months i think you will learn so much more about investing than most others so if you just start this project and you complete it even if it doesn't take 2 months if it takes 4 months say uh, it, it's still at the end of those 4 months you will have such a comprehensive investing education and you will know so much more about investing than most others um, who participate in the market so i i think buffett's letters are a tremendous resource uh, more, more than any any other resource that at least i have seen in investing okay thank you so much i appreciate absolutely okay so it looks like uh, alex was the last caller so thank you all very much for showing up i enjoyed this episode quite a bit so we will do one more episode uh, next week and then after that uh, i will try to come up with some other way uh, to conduct these episodes thank you all so much for tuning in i really appreciate it and uh, see you next sunday bye bye